G'day, dear listeners. We are again going on the Tanakh Tour this November, and we want you to come with us, don't we, Jason? We do. We want you to put your deposit down for a seat now, and you can experience Torah Pearls, the show, for nearly two weeks. It's going to be amazing, isn't it, Tovia? Not just are we going to be going through the weekly portion together as we had gone through the entire cycle and discuss so many fascinating topics, but imagine not just studying Isaiah, but imagine walking in the palaces that Isaiah walked in. We'll be doing that in the city of David. And not just city of David, we're going to be going far north. We're going to be going down south. We're going to be spending some very special time in Jerusalem. We want you to come with us. Places are filling up, but you can Go to truthtoyou.org, click on Tanakh Tour of Israel, the link where you can secure your place on the bus with us this November. That's important because whenever I'm not in the north or south or east, I'm usually in the west. Okay, that didn't work. I just you may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth to you.org that's truth number two letter you.org it's season two of torah pearls i'm jono and joining me in the virtual truth to you studio all the way from ireland is jason of spiritual babies.net g'day mate what's up hello everyone hello, a lot have you had leprosy lately yeah. <laughs> uh, you know you 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 laugh but um i actually have my main condition is psoriatic arthritis which causes um really severe psoriasis not just on my skin but on my bones and my eyes and my ears and everywhere. So I, um, when I read it, well, the first time I read this, I went, oh my God, I'm unclean. Um, but uh, <laughs> luckily I went through it twice. Um, but uh, I do know a little bit about skin conditions. So this is kind of my, uh, this is my chapter. I, should I be regretting asking you that question? Yeah, you can feel bad about it tomorrow <laughs> when you look at it, when you look psoriatic arthritis up online and you go, wow, okay. Right, well, I sit here and feel bad. Joining us from Indonesia is the author of Let's Get Biblical, Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah, Volumes 1 and 2. You can get a copy. Well, you can get a copy from his website. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it from all various places. OutreachJudaism.org. OutreachJudaism.org is the website. Tobia, how are you, Mike? Hey, ha- uh, great to be with you. I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. Well, that's good. So you don't have leprosy? No, I'm fine. Okay, now listen, we're in Tazria, right? Tazria, i got to admit, Jason, I have to say, it's probably not my favorite Torah portion. You know what? Mm. Um, it, it, it's quite short and it's quite, um, you know, it, it's documentative. It's more like a medical journal than it is something that we should be able to glean anything from. But well, that said, there's lots of little nuggets in here and it's worth a look. I'll tell you this, when, when Tobia and I were talking earlier, I said... He said, we're doing Tazria, right? And I said, yeah, I expect it'll be a pretty quick, um, uh, a short Torah portion. And he said, no, well, you know, I'll try, but I've got... He, now, he used the word juicy. He said, I've got some really juicy stuff in here, Ew. which is not really... A, a, it's not exactly... I don't know, Tobia, that I'd use that that adjective in relation to this Torah portion, but knock yourself out. No, this is a fascinating Torah portion. There are... I mean, there's parts of this I wouldn't talk about on air. Fascinating stuff that I can go into. Really crazy stuff, but it's, it would be, uh, some of the listeners would be. It'd be R-rated. It does begin like this. Now, we're in Leviticus chapter 12, people, and it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, and now this is what I've got, and on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. That's fair enough. And then it says, 
She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But, verse 5, if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her customary impurity. And she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. And the question that everybody asks, Sobia, why is it twice as long for a female as it is for a male? Yeah, well, this is a great question. There, there are two parts to, this, to, the, to the answer to this question. One is, uh, first, we have to understand what does impurity mean? The impurity, certainly the word conveys something negative like dirty or pure we're not dealing here with a physical purity but a spiritual purity and impurity what creates a state of impurity and once we have a sense of how it works like what are the what is the underlying mechanics how does this function then we can have a better idea of of what causes um uh, what causes mm-hmm. impurity. So impurity tumo, that's the Hebrew word, comes about, it is created through a vacuum. You have something holy that's holy, and that holiness or life departs. What replaces life is that that is that vacuum and that creates tumor. And therefore the the greater the loss or the greater the evacuation of of Kedusha, the greater amount of contamination um, will emerge, will be fashioned. Therefore, mm-hmm. obviously, the greatest impurity possible is that of a dead corpse, because here you had a living being with the neshama, and the neshama departs the body, the soul departs the body. That creates an enormous that t- creates an enormous spiritual vacuum in its place. The vacuum produces the tumor. Now we can understand how we can wrap our brain around what's happening here. So in the case, here you have a woman whose body works, a woman who's not pregnant, the body works perfectly. She doesn't need children out of love. She wants to bring children to the world. So in comes a baby in her body, a, a soul, neshama, is now growing in her body, growing inside of her. An amazing mm-hmm. thing. So what happens when that holy child leaves her body? That kedusha, that sanctity, leave, departs her. So what, what, what results in this place? It creates a level of tuma. Again, we call it impurity because we don't really have words for these spiritual concepts. Um, so we're just using the words of Torah. This vacuum that's created... Um, is of the of the departure of holiness is what uh, is produces the tumor. Now, it, as we know, with the uh, a girl baby, a girl is born with every egg she will ever have. A, a boy actually produces that which produces children. He actually has a factory going on, but a girl doesn't. Every every female born is born with every egg that she will ever have. Mm, so, amazing, ah, man. yeah, it's an amazing thing. So, therefore, when a when a um, a when a mother gives birth to a girl, 
it's a double it's a double amount of tumor why because there's now two things two vacuums created not only is the child now departed the body but that child also has children is a is a is going to be a mother and has everything in her all the all this all the machinery that Hashem created to put in her so you have this double amount of tumor that is departing her and therefore we have twice as long a period of time that she's unclean it also is very it appears very clear that given in verse 3 that we have just juxtaposed if you notice you know first of all we're told about circumcision earlier on in the Torah but here we are told about the eighth day we learn out mm-hmm. many laws of circumcision from this passage including the fact that we perform a circumcision on Shabbos which even makes it into the Christian Bible we're not going there but the juxtaposition of placing it precisely here gives us further insight into how this all comes together you know when we do something so usually there's a, a you know there's a, a, a cost a risk benefit analysis but when Hashem does everything it's perfect so what happens also is that w- when a woman gives birth to a boy so she's tummy for seven days which means at the end of those seven days she is then able to celebrate at the bris she's able to go to the circumcision she's able to celebrate the festivities so it's not an accident look at where the positioning of this verse is precise I mean it's really completely out of context and remember one of the things that I often talk about is when studying scripture we're always looking for the anomaly that's very telling just like when you're looking at an mri we're looking at something abnormal what's abnormal is the circle the commandment of circumcision already has been mentioned we actually we have that going back genesis to genesis but what's happening here is shoved right in there immediately after seven day on the eighth day you can make a circumcision um another mm-hmm. so we they have the, this double part so with a birth of a a a female child, you have actually actually what is removed is a double holiness. We have the holiness of any child, but for a girl, you're now having a departure of a girl that's now double holy because she herself is has all her all all the mechanics that God created in her to produce children. Already, yeah, that that is amazing, Jason. Well, um, I have to say, I searched um, all last week for uh, a reason <clears throat> for the difference between 40 and 80 days, and no one would offer one, so that was really interesting to hear. Mm. Um, one thing that I think is worth bringing up is that the unclean status of the mother here, I think sometimes we um, we render all things unclean with the same brush, and uh, this just meant that she wasn't pure to eat the kind of sacrificial meat or to enter the um the sanctuary so her day-to-day life would have been fine but anything that interacted with the priests and the, and the um sanctuary she couldn't be involved with during this period i think that's worth remembering i don't want people to and because especially when we go through the store portion we're going to find that people that are uh, labeled unclean are going to be removed far 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 away from the people of israel um, but this isn't the mother. She's she's only unclean or impure for a, a certain um, for a certain part of her life, her life, and and the things that she does during her her days. Also, that when um, she makes atonement, because that's that's going to come up in the next chapter. Um, it, it, there's an idea as well when we read through this that it's an atonement for sin. But like we said before, atonement doesn't doesn't mean the removal of sin as much as it means kind of getting back on track. And um, your kind of your course is faltered back into the position it should be in. 
And so your relationship mm. with God is, is set back to zero. Um, and again, I don't want people to read Atonement and think that there's some sort of sinful thing involved in having kids. Um, mm. I know that my, when I started looking at Torah the first time through, I had all of this um, misunderstanding kind of planted in my head from you know what I thought before. And um, some of some words that we understand in our in our faith when we read our Tanakh need to be redefined. And I think that it's a mm. good it's a good time to think about what purification means in this instance and what atonement means in this instance. Yeah, so I, I, I have to just comment on what Jason says. It's brilliant, and it's something I omitted, and that is n- not all tuma is created equal, and that's very important. Uh, Jason's point. I just want to italicize this. There mm. are we won't take too much time in this, but there are two levels of impurity that are here that come into view in this passage. The first impurity is the impurity of Anita. That's the menstruant, menstruous woman. So that impurity is to the level that she can't have married relations with the husband and so on. After mm. the seven or after the 14 days is over, so she still has a, a level of impurity, but it is not the same. It now has receded greatly after she immerses in a mikvah, and then the impurity, as Jason mentioned, then is only restricts her regarding eating uh, sacrificial meats, eating tithes, where you have to be in an absolutely... Uh, perfect state of purity so that had mm-hmm. to wait uh, until the sacrifices and we're going to get to that now we'll talk about uh, the sin offering that she had to bring verse 6 and it says uh, when the days of her purification are fulfilled uh, whether for a son or a daughter she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who was uh, born a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, by the way, if she uh, she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, uh, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. Tobia. Yeah, so uh, so first of all, we have here sort of a, what's called a carbon oil of yoyrate, which means that uh, different types of sacrifices depending on what you can afford. But that's... But I wanted to touch again. I I feel like I'm. <laughs> it doesn't even. I'm just commenting on Jason. But Jason pointed out something very significant here. There's clearly an atonement for sin, but this kind of atonement for sin can't be normative sin because we're dealing with childbirth here. But remember what we've talked about many times, and that is whenever there's a carbon chatos or any kind of sacrifice for sin, the sin is not a real sin. It's not It's not real rebellion, but there, something had to be very um, defective about the sin for a sacrifice to be sufficient to atone, because the verse 7 specifically says that her sin is to be atoned for. What, what sin are we talking about here? What, what could she have done? Well, the, our sages tell us that when a woman is giving birth, in fact, as she's approaching her birth, her hormones are changing violently, and during her labor pains, she could have, uh, she could have certainly screamed out things and said things that, uh, because that she would never sleep with her husband again, that she would never want to have children again. Her hormones could change so dramatically, her moods could change, she could have said things out of that state that she really didn't mean. And therefore, during that time, after everything is done, the sin sacrifices were t- 
atone for the sins again unintentional. She didn't really sin in the sense of rebelling against God, but she may have said things or felt things or thought things. That's what the elevation offering comes in. It's really very exquisite. It's, it's, it would take too much time to go into it, but it disweaves brilliantly. The, what, what's happening here is we have sacrifices for a woman who, in labor, she's going cursing her husband to say, I'll never do this again. I'll never have to have another child again, and so on. And therefore, she brings a sin offering, but it works. It normally a sin offering would never work for cursing your husband, saying, "I'll make all kinds of vows." There's no sin offering, but here, of course, she's giving birth. So here we have this, um, we have this uh, mitigating circumstance where it's real. It's not an intentional sin. It's really just really beautiful. It is something, Tobia, that we will never understand. I, I don't know how. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> to carry a, a baby inside you for, for nine months and then, and then to give birth to it. I mean, women, they, they're amazing, and I just don't know how. don't know how it feels. It's just incredible. Jason, yes. have, you, um, have you had breakfast yet <laughs> this morning? I have. <laughs> You've had breakfast? Okay, I've, I've had dinner. I've had dinner. Um, Tobia now wants to... Uh, Get into the juicy things of chapter thirteen, and um, I'm not even going to start reading it. I'm going to just kind of going to hand it over. You're going to drive this bus now, Tobia. Really? What do you? What do you want to bring out of chapter thirteen? You want me to take over verse that we have to renegotiate <laughs> the contract. The contract it begins is like this: talk that you're Shakespeare, <laughs> and then the, the <laughs> me with my you know my Queen's English accent continues as the continent on it. That's, it that's, begins like this: it's it says, a contract, my friends. Go ahead. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to Moses and. Aaron saying, when a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore. Well, uh, you know what? What we have to do first. Are you like singing? (laughs) Are you like singing leprosy? Leprosy. Yes, Jason. When we read leprosy in here, it's not leprosy. What is it? Uh, because because when when I when sure. I did I, like I have actually read through this and it doesn't really resemble what we know to be lep- what we call leprosy today at least. What 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 is your that's, uh, that's, investigation? That's part of the issue is that um, what we know about leprosy doesn't. First of all, leprosy doesn't reveal itself in the way that this illness reveals itself. It's very different. Le- leprosy is a rotting of the flesh, and you lose limbs. Um, it's not about tumors on the skin. It's not about your skin changing color or getting these plates and plaques. Um, and also, um, the le- leprosy—you can't get leprosy and then be fine in a week. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't the text. But what what there there is some correlation between some parts of this, especially later on, and elephantitis. So Oy. yeah, I know. Uh, also, there's an interesting thing that we'll find later on where the illness can be carried and affect. Um, woven items so i mean there's a part in here later on that mentions um fabric and it's not talking about necessarily stuff that you wear but also where you live because obviously these people are intense and so that's, that, that's kind of interesting as well but i don't think there's that at the moment especially in the world we live in i mean this was you know a few thousand years ago and who knows what illnesses were around then um and which and brings if- me on to one other part is which is a yep. kind of an interesting one um, there, there, there are kind of there are three houses with this. There's, there's a group of people that believe that the the laws instigated in this in this um, Torah parasha were for hygiene for the people of Israel. There's a group of people that believe this was um, 
instigated to show people how to remain holy. And in the third mm-hmm. camp, that it's a mixture of the two. I'm, at, I'm in the third camp completely. But it's kind of interesting um, that you can read them both ways because that after after you, there's no, um, you, so you get sick and the priest comes and he, he speaks to you and uh, the priest gives his uh, clarification on what you need to do. And after that period happens, you're not asked to repent. There's no prayer. You don't, you know, you don't get, so that's the argument really for it being a hygiene thing. The priest doesn't come to you and say, right, you're going to have to pray now. And um, through prayer alone, um, if, if God deems you worthy, he'll uh, make you better. That's, that's, so it's not, you know, it's not like in the spiritual thing. Um, you're separated from the people. Um, but then mm. the other argument is you're separated from the people because you're going to contaminate the people. And I'm sure Toby's going to talk about it, but there's an allusion here to um, gossip. So um, that's another thing. But the th- third camp, which I think is the fairest one, is that this illness, whatever it is, um, a was going to be a contamination to the people. B um, would contaminate you. I know when I'm poorly and sick, I'm not mm. in the best humor, and my my dedication, if you like, to the work that I do during the week and to my creator may be less than favorable because I'm annoyed. I'm like, why have you done this to me? And um, you know, look at all these people having a great time, and here I am having a really bad time. And so mm. I, I do, th- that, you know, although this is a physical illness, I think there's definitely a spiritual attack on your body, whether you want it or not. Um, but these things are all um, important to consider as we go through this. But the most important thing to consider is that when we read about the leper colonies of, say, the Middle Ages, this isn't that. This is something else. Let me let me just let me just ask you a question. It's, so this is what we're reading in in uh, chapter thirteen is a spiritual condition, physical on the body. Yeah, that, is that yes, that manifests itself physically. That and, man- manifests itself physically in the body and on the clothing and and, and even, even the, the house, the walls of the house. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm good with that. But but we don't see that today. God does not inflict that upon anyone as far as we know today. Right. Now think of it. We, we don't. No, it's not. Because, in fact, the Talmud discusses this, and this is discussed extensively. Your, your, point, your point precisely that, in fact, we are living in such a, a generation that is so impoverished spiritually that taking someone and sending out a camp wouldn't work. It would be, actually be very destructive. So, in fact, these kinds of measurements is only works where the generation was holy. So, then people would take such kind of instruction and make, would make them better people. And now, just one last thing. It's actually famous because missionaries use this. The Talmud says that 40 years before the destruction of the Second Temple, the Beth and Sanhedrin stopped giving out. Many things happened, and that's where the Jesus part comes in. It's a chapter in the, in the book, volume two. But one of the things they stopped doing is there was so much murder. Jews were killing other Jews. Listen to this. This is very interesting. So the, the Talmud says, the Gemara in Yuma, Yuma uh, 30, says that there was so much murder going on, Jew was killing another Jew, that the Supreme Court, the courts that could uh, give capital punishment, actually closed up. That means they, the, the main court stepped out of the Temple Mount, and therefore no could not uh, put, give capital punishment for murder. 
that which is counterintuitive. You, you would think that oh, mur- murder so rampant, we need a uh, more, we need a stronger mm. judicial system. Now we really have to hike up the uh, capital punishment. No, the purpose of any kind of any kind of punishment was to make people better if it would work. But when you have a generation where people are just killing each other rampantly, it isn't going to work anymore. It's not going to make mm. somebody better. So that was the purpose of these punishments. You know, the atheists who say, "Oh, you have all these things. You kill, stone someone to death." So that the people would hear and fear, but if they don't care anymore, then what's the point? And and in fact, if you look at the evidentiary level, the level of evidence necessary to convict, it was almost impossible. Uh, If, uh, you know, in order for, I don't know, a woman committing adultery, someone would have to be in the hotel room, two people who are not related to either of them and to you, and they're religious, and they have to warn them, and they have to say no, and they have to, how would that even happen? So it's interesting, in reality, it's clear the Talmud says that a court that put carried out capital punishment more than one in seven years was called a Besdin Katlonus, which means a killer Besdin. It was something because uh, the level of evidence necessary was so. So therefore, why say put to death? Surely put to death. It's not because actually people were put to death. It was very unusual. It was really to tell us the severity, to indicate the severity of the sin. In practice, it was rarely carried out. The purpose is, this is how serious bad speech is. Mm. This is how serious. Now we're living in a Doryosum, which means an, a, an orphan generation spiritually. And therefore, this kind of generation needs, oh, you know, uh, as Led Zeppelin said, a whole lot of love. But the thing that uh, sticks out in my mind, Tobia, I mean, yourself as a Cohen, uh, you are required, I mean, according to this chapter, you're one of the guys that makes the house calls and examines what, uh, what appears to be a potentially contagious condition. And uh, that's, a big, that's a big call as well. I mean, the, the gravity of, of uh, such an action. Oh, this is, this is huge. This is, this is huge. And in fact, uh, and Jason's quite right. This is not a, a physical malady or Hansen's disease. In fact, the whole term leprosy getting in here is once again our friends the Septuagint did that with the Greek word uh, lepra, and they so somebody rendered the Jewish scriptures into Greek. We we don't have just so folks who may be confused by this. We don't have the original Septuagint of the Torah, the five books of Moses that um, the library in Alexandria burned down. That's gone. So this is was stuck. The Greek word uh, for leprosy, lepra was put in there, and that's how this wound up in all the translations. There's no relationship, as Jason said, uh, leprosy uh, or Hansen's disease is a bacterial disease that could, well, today they actually are, but anyways, it lasts years, I mean, without uh, proper, this has nothing to do with that. Number two is, you said, I, the priest, and the one who, who makes sure to cleanse a person. Well, if you notice, the text is very clear here, and that is, until the priest, and this is going to be so unbelievable, says you are unclean, the person's not unclean. All right, I'll I'll give this away. This is brilliant, okay? Let me just show you something. Um, This is so delicious that wherever you are, put it down. If you're standing, sit down and make sure that the chair has four, and listen carefully. First of all, as Jason said, this this malady not only can go to a person, but also can go to your clothing, go to your to threads that are even going to be used for clothing, could go to your house, go to anything. Now, what happens? The function of the priest is so 
critical here because let me I, I'm going to do this even though it's advanced, but we'll do it because it'll give you a sense of how important the statement of the sages is, the statement of the judges, the statement of the priest. And that is, if let's say a priest gets a call, is told that look, you ha- that I it looks like my house has leprosy. Okay, has this thing breaking up. I'm going to using that word, but really the word saras. We'll talk about we'll talk about that word in a moment. Mm-hmm. So what does the priest do? The priest tells him, clear everything out of your house. Get it up before I show up. Get it up. Why? Because if I declare it unclean, then everything in the house is unclean. You got it? So Mm -hmm. let's stop and think about that for a moment. If this was a normal malady, if if the idn itself made it unclean and the priest was just recognizing, identifying what was there already. Then it would already be unclean. Right, so what, what is this, some sort of game? Think about this. The man tells the priest, the priest is notified that I think I may have here, we have a white blotches that are breaking out. I'm not going to go into the actually four different uh, types of white blotches, it's colors, not relevant, not germane to this. The key point is, I want you to listen to this, most people miss this. The priest then says, get everything out of your house, because if I proclaim it to be unclean, if the stuff is in the house, it becomes unclean as well. Well, wait, it, that stuff was in the house when I contacted the priest. What kind of mm. game? Ah, so now we see that the priest has to say it. This is a, a very important point. Until he proclaims it to be tome impure, meaning saras, and he says the person is the mitzvah. He is in the mitzvah. In fact. Priests sometimes would hold back on visiting the person if, let's say, the person just gotten married or the person's just had a child or there's some sort of celebration or festival so as not to render the person unclean. So the priest is critical here. Without him saying it, it isn't. The priest has to identify it. That's number one. The, now, now we'll talk about Saras. Saras is we actually encounter someone with Saras, one person with Saras in Torah who actually gets. So we know what the what Saras is a punishment for, and that is predominantly for a person who is speaking lush in her, who's speaking something about bad about somebody else. We're talking about Miriam, right? Yes. Here we're going to Numbers twelve. Here we have the only case. Of, it's not the only case of uh, Mitzorah in the Bible, but it is the only case we have in Torah. Therefore, we could see it there very clearly. A Mitzorah, in fact, the word Mitzorah is a compression of two words. It's Moitzi Ra, which means someone, like Moitzi means to bring out or to extract, like Hamotzi Lechem and Earth, who brings forth. Motzi Ra, someone who brings forth something that's bad. Someone who, who says something that's, that, that could be bad. Now, there are three levels of this. Someone could say something that's bad that is true, but still cast that person in bad light. That's called Lashon Hara. A person could do, say something called Rechilus. Rechilus means that a person could say something that can cause someone to dislike another person. You know, it's forbidden. The worst, 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 worst form of of of, of bad speech is Moitzi Shemra. This is the worst possible. Moitzi Shemra means that you're actually saying something that's not true about somebody that defames the person. The key point is this, that you see, I, I, listen, my holy brothers, this is really unbelievable what you're about to hear. This is a very strange punishment in Scripture. Why? It is really the only punishment, the ongoing punishment, 
That's miraculous. That means God performs a miracle. That means if you look at other sins that the Jewish people might commit, so God says, so you won't get rain, you'll, your enemies will defeat you, whatever it is. You can be punished personally, all kinds of things. But it's not like lightning bolts fly out of heaven. So here we have in view, God literally performs a miracle in this case, because this thing clearly is not natural. Uh, it's, it's, the priest says it, it is, if it isn't, it, this is not natural. So why would God perform a miracle to punish someone or to criticize or to make someone better to get them to repent, specifically w with, for the sin of improper speech? This is very exquisite. That is that, why is it that this is a sin that so many people stumble in, that people say words and unfortunately those words have enormous gravity. They cause a lot of pain, they hurt people's feelings, they destroy people's reputations, they can destroy a marriage. They can, people think to them, and themselves that, you know, it's just a word. And what's a word? You know, I, I say a word now and the word, you know, ends. It may bounce off two walls and then fly out the window. And then the, the sound and vibrations just recede and evaporate and disappear. Oh, no, you don't know. When you're saying a word, you're actually creating something. As it says in Psalm 35, and with word God created. So a word we see in Genesis all over the Torah, it's saying something. Even saying God's name in vain, this is fantastic. So people dismiss or stumble in the laws of speaking evil about someone or causing strife through speech, which Miriam did with her brother. And therefore God's saying, no, no I'm going to show you that your, your speech is actually dement tangible. It's actually, you could feel it, you could touch it. It really has, it really creates something. I'm going to perform a a miracle, and that is the, the blotches that the priest has to see, and then the signs say, "Okay, this person is uh, this person is impure." So here, so that's so Mojsiro is someone who releases releases that which is evil, and then God steps in and performs a miracle in order to get the perch. Now, here's the other part. I, as I said a moment ago, we all know this, that when people speak evil about another or say things that create strife, what does it do to people? It isolates them. Mm -hmm. It causes families to break apart. How many of you listening to this show right now have not spoken to a friend, to a sister, to a brother, to you, because what someone said to you about that person, right? It causes a person to become evil speech causes people to their lives to become destroyed it causes a person's marriage to be destroyed it causes relationships to be destroyed and it isolates people and that's why the it's mido connected mido what happens to the mitsoro what happens to that person how do they well, atone but how do they make right how are they punish in a sense. Punish here is in a sense of how are they dealt with so that they may repent is they have to understand what they've done to the person. Evil speech causes people to become isolated, to lose family and friends and relationships and therefore you have to leave the camp of the Jewish people and that's ultimately once the priest declares someone is a mitzvah that means you become isolated what you did to someone else now happens to you. Um I uh, just one more if we have time. Just one more thing. Please. I, I, this is also. I, I'm only. I, I'm. I'm. I'm really doing triage here because there's so much to speak about. There is another anomaly. 
And if if you're new to listening to the show, welcome. And what I, you know, what we said is that that always look for the oddities, the anomalies. Just like a radiologist is looking at an MRI, an X-ray, and they're looking not for the normative lines, but looking for something something unusual. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of sending someone out of the camp is that they, of course, everything is so that they can repent. They can feel what it's like to be isolated. They couldn't be in the camp at all. They couldn't be in any of the walled cities and so on. Mm. So it's interesting, but there's, it's, there's something so bizarre here. and It's a very famous law, and it's almost a refrain. And that is, if the, what happens, the person had a blotch of white. But then it covered their entire body. Everything becomes white. That means it's, it went from a patch to the whole body is mm. now white. So you think, well, if one little patch, it, it really all the size of the patch only had to be roughly about three quarters of an inch square. I don't know what that is. Uh, the, key, the key point is this. There are some people who really are so in so much trouble spiritually that really this won't work for them. That means that some, for many people, criticism is helpful, and punishment makes them behave better, makes them better people. But as we know, sometimes as a child that is in so much trouble, any of you who have been a teacher know this, and as you encounter a young man, a young girl, she just com- they're just completely beside themselves. And they're just in their own world. And no matter what, they're thrown out of class 20 times, they just keep doing it. And that person needs a special kind of attention. Regular criticism doesn't lift them up, but can destroy them. And sometimes teachers, parents can make a mistake by treating all of their children the same. And that could be a disaster. Because, yes, strong criticism can be beneficial and is beneficial for some kids. But for some kids, it just they can't handle it. It doesn't work for them. They need love. And, you know, I'll tell you this. I'll share this with you. That when I, mm. when I you know, my life is devoted really, in, for all of my adult life is devoted to helping Jews in the church uh, return to the God of Israel. That's it. Mm. That's everything I do. And... Uh, I never, I don't never get upset when I meet when I meet Jews who are in the church or Christians at all. I feel, I, I know they're in, really in a bit of trouble, but I know that they got in trouble because they they didn't have my background. You know how often I, I, people I've been recorded people say to me, Rabbi, I used to be messianic. What should I do? And I tell them I envy you. That means that people who get involved who are so in the church, they're so far away from our people. They can't be talked to the way we normally say, hey, what are you doing? You could No, they need a lot of love. They need a special care. It's not like, it's like a technique, oh, I'm going to give love because it works better. No, it's because it, it really these people just need a special kind of attention. And sending them out of the camp, simply saying to a Jew who's in the church, get out, get out. Rather than say, come, let's study the Torah together. What is God's opinion? That's how I always approach it. And that's what works for them. It really, because they really, they really want to connect to God. Whatever reason, they didn't grow up in the same world that I did. So therefore, we see this anomaly that some people, this kind of criticism that a person declared unclean doesn't work for them. Who are they? The people who just, their whole body is white. It means it's all gone. So they're... That means they're declared pure. Because remember what I told you earlier, the priest is the one who says it, he makes it happen. So when Cohen says, this guy, don't throw him out of the camp. And therefore, he's dealt with differently. And that's very important. Okay, so so, okay, let me just try and get this straight just with with what you've said so far. Help me out here, Jason. So 
Um, we, we cited earlier on uh, in numbers, of course, Miriam, who all of a sudden became uh, totally covered white in leprosy and was sent out of the camp for a period of time. Here in chapter 13 and verse 13, I think it is. Yes, it is. Uh, it says, if, uh, if indeed the leprosy has covered all his body, all his body, he shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. Uh, it has all turned white. He is clean. Mm. Uh, this is, okay, so I'm trying to, okay, Jason, what's going through your mind, mate? It's written in my notes um, that if you had the white, there were different, I think what, what was happening is there was a ramping scale of how bad things were. Um, so in my text, I have then the priest shall look and behold, if the leprosy has covered all the flesh, he shall pronounce him clean. That it has the plague, it is all turned white, he is clean. And I think the white is good. It's the red and the blistering sores that's bad. And it's a little bit like chicken pox. So when you get chicken pox, if you've got, if you've got the pox and all of the sores that you have, all the spots you have are big and they're all pussy and nasty. Have you had chicken pox? No, I have, yeah. Yeah, so you know um, you're kind of you're contagious for a certain period and then you're non-contagious for a certain, mm. certain period. And I think this might be something similar, that your um, discoloration of skin is a milder form, so you're not, you're not gonna, uh, that's not going to spread. Um, but if you get the tumours, I think the tumours are called risings in the skin in the text. Um, if you have the tumours, then that, that's a much worse thing. So, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm kind of dancing between the, the spiritual and the physical here. But if you have these, these much worse physical eruptions, that might be what causes you to be removed. But then I believe well, Miriam had the white skin, right? She had the white skin. Okay, Toby, just, just help us out. We're just going to go through it again. I'm just, it's, I'm just not, yeah. I'm not clear on this yet. So this is a, a very famous refrain in the Jewish world. Which literally means that the tsaras has in fact covered the entire skin. This is a, a term used in the Jewish world to describe a, a person. A, let me give you an example. Uh, in, in, they say Yiddish in the Altaheim in Europe. If a, a Jew married out of the faith. Huh? Or a Jew converted to Christianity happened, so the family would sit shiva. Literally, the person's dead. That's how they would handle it. The person would be, would be literally. In fact, it was a tradition that if a uh, um, if a person's child converted to Christianity, uh, they would sit shiva. They would. That's the mourning period of like someone died, but they would do it for fourteen days, twice as long, because it's a spiritual death. But no one does that today. That means that's not in our time. It's handled differently. Why? Because in the in the Alta High means meaning in the old home, meaning in Europe before World War Two, with Jews like the story of Anna Tevka, the story of Fiddler on the Roof. He had three mm. daughters. You remember? So yeah. I, I, the film is very special to me on many levels. One of them is you have three daughters, and each of them defied tradition. But on different levels. The first mm. one, what did she? All she did was she just chose the boy she wanted to marry. Right? Mm, they chose each other. Yeah. yeah. So you know, ultimately, you remember that. So Tevye said, you know, uh, you know, he he first. What do you mean? I, I you're supposed to marry Laser Wolf. It's arranged. He's rich. He may mm. be old man, mm. but he's he's a rich man. He's gonna give me five hundred chickens. But ultimately, he concocts a story for his wife Chavo, so that 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 that, that the grandmother came in a dream could kill. Anyway, so. Tevye said, you know what? That's just it. I could I can live with that. I can live with yeah, that. I can yeah. live with that. 
And then the middle daughter, I don't remember what, what, what she did. But, Te- but Tevye goes, all right, he, he's in the field. He goes, all right, I can deal with this too. Oh, she runs off to be with a Jewish boy, but who he was, uh, became a communist. And he was going off to, she was going to Siberia. Well, they, right. they, they, uh, they didn't ask for his permission. Right. They just asked for his blessing. They right. said, we are going to get we're married. We're getting married and just, we, we, we're, we're, not, we're not asking, give us your blessing. Right. Mm. But that I can live with. Well, what does the youngest daughter do? She gets baptized and converts to Christianity and marries a, presumably, a Russian Orthodox uh, boy. And he says, no, this can't be. Mm. And, he's, and then he says, and he walks away, and she, you know, I don't, mm. I don't want to break apart on this one. This is, this, of course, went on. You know, even though uh, Anatevka is a fictitious place, it really is a very real place. That mm. was the pale settlement. That was Jews, how Jews lived in these little communities, and they lived on a knife's edge, where they ultimately mm. had to leave. Uh, but the youngest daughter, you, you cross that line. That line can never be crossed. You see, so in, the, in, in Europe, in the Pale Settlement, which is the western part of the Russian Empire, where maybe nearly two million Jews lived at one time during Tsarist and Christian Russia. So at that time, there was a great expectation of how people would live. So at that time, people would, yeah, they would have a blotch, you deal with it, you deal with it, how, but if but people uh, sinned, they really were dealt with very harshly. We're not Nanatevka anymore. We're in America now. We're in Western Europe now. I'm here in Indonesia now. The Jews mm. here in Jakarta, in Papua, have been already detached from Torah, from the Jewish ancestors, for quite a number of generations, some three, some mm. six and seven, depending on what island they're on. So when I see them and I, and I, and I, and I, and I speak to them, I, I understand they've been far away. I don't treat them the way Tevye treated his youngest daughter who got baptized within that rubric. In the same way, when, when you see someone who's just, they just need a whole different approach completely. Being excommunicated from the camp will not work for that person. This person needs special attention. because they're in, And that's what, what I'm seeking to convey. This is a very famous refrain, which means you're talking about a child, usually that's a child, or a person, they need, this is, requires special attention. They're an exception to the rule. They're in so much trouble that they actually, what ordinarily might work to bring healthy, healthy flesh, to bring purity in, that won't work for this kid. And if you do it, you'll destroy the kid if you, if you throw that kid out of class. That kid won't work if you throw him out of your camp. This child is not the run of the camp. This person is dealt with differently. And that's what comes into view here. And it's really very powerful. The whole issue of God intervening, because we really don't take to heart what a bad word says. When someone says something bad about you, how much it isolates, how much destruction does it God say, I'm going to show you. And in fact, we see this coming into view through in, in the story of Miriam, where Miriam received the tzaras. And, and it's like a dead person. In fact, if you look at, if you look at, um, if you look at Numbers 12, 12, it says there, behold, that Miriam literally became like a dead person, like a corpse. Mm. It's very interesting. It's also interesting, I, I don't know how much time we have, but I don't want to get, overdo it here. But it's very interesting that the, 
The word nega tsaras, this term of, of malady, is really an unusual term in the five books of Moses. We, this word nega, a very simple word, appears in another place where the way to deal with it, we're going to get into this later, is actually with the blood on the, on the wood. And that is, we see that that same word is used as a plague for the Egyptians, the tenth plague. And we, we, we make right. a, a, we're going to deal with that later on. This is huge. But the key point is everyone needs a different kind of attention, has to be addressed differently. And this is where Ezekiel 34 is. And then as God is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, who tends to each sheep needs a different kind of, a different kind of attention, right. needs young grass, older grass. Everybody is addressed differently here. But also the priest is the one literally, that means God is working through him, but God made it that, that the priest is in partnership with God. And the priest, when he says it, only then is the person impure. Before he says it, not impure. Right. Jason? Yeah, a couple of things. So while, while Toby was speaking there, although I was listening intently, I was also looking at, um, at some other things um, to do with Miriam and to do with um, this skin disease very quickly. So while we did read that in, in verse 13, then the priest shall look and behold, if the leprosy covers all the flesh, you'll pronounce clean. The very next line says, but whosoever raw flesh appears on him, he should be unclean. So it does appear that the raw, the raw part is bad. If, it, if you are completely covered in the white, that's good. That seems to be the end, and that's the way out. Now, the Numbers um, chapter with Miriam is quite interesting because um, the, the cloud lifts, and Miriam is there, um, and she's, it says that her skin was leprous. Now, it didn't say she was completely leprous, and in the, in the verse that we've just read, it says that your body's completely white, and that's clean. This just says her skin was leprous. It doesn't say all of her. So if it's not all of her, then she's discounted from that straight away. But it also says that the real issue here isn't so much her illness. Her illness didn't make her go outside the camp for seven days. It was the way she acted. Because um, it says the Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spat in her face, would she not be in disgrace for seven days? So this is, this is more of a, a, a picture of what she's done. And that's kind of a, her punishment. That's the point. The point is what triggers saras, we really need to use that word because leprosy just get everything. Mm. That means what is clear is what triggers saras is bad behavior. Not any kind of bad behavior, but bad behavior of speech or we'll see of great pride, which is related to it. That means the other person's not really important. But the key is bad behavior triggers this miraculous intervention of tsaras which is which causes the person to do and then is create isolation so that is consistent with what you see in numbers chapter 12 okay Jason. um it's interesting that um Tavia spoke about uh, a person being um considered dead because it, there, there's no the reason interesting for two reasons first of all if a person is um spiritually unclean if they're in if their impurity is such that they have to be removed um, from the holy things of Israel. Um, that really struck a chord with me because Israel is supposed to be a nation of priests. And obviously within a nation of priests, you can't have an impure priest. So it's interesting that that person is then removed from this um, group of people until they're okay to come back and resume their role in this nation. The second thing is when we get through to um, verse um, 45, I think it is, in mine it's mm -hmm. 45, um, it speaks about rending the garment and covering the face. Um, but rending the garment, as we know, is something that 
people do do when someone dies. But in this instance, mm. the person does it to themselves. So they consider yeah. themselves in mourning for themselves, which yeah. reflects what Tobias says quite nicely. Yeah. And and let's uh, I can weave this in here. Torah, there's no end. Um, this this actually happens. This is one a very strange event in history. But in fact, one of the greatest kings of the Jewish people, and his name was Uzziah. Uh, he ruled for 52 years. At the time, that was the longest any Davidic king had, had ruled. His name alternately is called Azariah, and you could read about this in Second Chronicles chapter 26. What happens is that he, he is filled with pride, and he, he acts improperly, and he becomes a Mitzora, which is... And what happens in his life is he really was a great king. He was so successful. He rebuilt Jerusalem. He he liberated a lot. Those of you who go historically a lot, you could you could thank him. He did. He just accomplished so much. But then his heart became pro- filled with pride and so on. We're not going to go into that part. But the key is that that he is going to become Mitzvah, and they actually. He spends the last 12 years of his life, because the people loved him so much, they didn't want him to retire. So he sp- they build him like a house in the cemetery, and that's where he, that's where he lives, and that's where he rules from. They said, well, so they, he actually rules as a Mitzorah, in, and that's how he spends the last segment of his life. And then he has a, a fantastic son, whose name is Yotan, and then Achaz, and then Hezekiah. Mm. So it, it, in fact, and therefore, when you see in Isaiah chapter 6, notice, it's a famous holy, 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 you know, the angels and so on. That's really the first chapter of Isaiah, even though it's chapter 6. It really should be first on another show. We'll talk about why it isn't. But the key point is that's when Isaiah is commissioned to become a prophet. If you notice there, it says, after the at the death of Uziah, that's how the whole chapter begins. It doesn't really mean that he died there. It obviously can't mean he died there because because uh, Isaiah was a prophet during his lifetime. The death there is referring to him becoming a Mitzorah. And we see, and how do I know that? How can I be sure of that? People are wondering. So if you go at the end of Chronicles 26, you'll see it's so, this is music, man. This is music. This is, this is, this is Beethoven's Ninth Symphony first movement. You see at the end of Chronicles 26 it says there, if you want to know more about this event, about this story, you will see it in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look it up in Isaiah. This almost, if you're familiar with the Jewish scriptures, this almost never happens. Daniel doesn't say, well, if you want to know more about it, go look it up in Zechariah. I mean, that is so unusual. They're so rare. Prophets don't often mention other prophets. They do. But to say, look it up in the prophecies of this one, that's, I mean, that would be like, that should be like one of these tests, like, could you name whatever? If you couldn't figure that one out. Well, that's, this is one of the exceptions. So we see there that Chronicles is telling us that you can find it in Isaiah. But where is it in Isaiah about it? Well, there it is, chapter 6. So in fact, the death, the white blotches, and again, when someone dies, God forbid, so what happens? The, the blood leaves their skin and they in fact become pale. That's in fact, so Atsuras, Mitsura, is in fact a kind of spiritual death. And remember what we said a moment ago, that they're dealt with really in the way that a dead person would be. The level of what has to happen in order to, they have to be outside of the camp, anything they come into contact with becomes unclean. It's called an Arviya Vos HaTuma, the, the grandfather of Tuma. It's like the great I- impurity. Well, what does it have all have in common? Bingo, death. 
So a Mitzorah, someone who's a Mitzorah, is like someone who died. It's absolutely, this weaves, what Jason was explaining is so enormous. I hope the listeners all grasp it. It's really so fantastic. It fits together throughout Scripture in a magnificent fashion. Well, I didn't see any of this coming, I have to admit. Jason, I have a question, and I think you will probably know the answer. What is a warp and what is a woof? Oh, a warp is a woven fabric and a woof is a knitted one. Hmm. Ah, so I knew you'd know that. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Is he a knitter? What is he? He's a no, knitter? no, Jason, Jason, whenever I have a, a question uh, about, about something, you know, something. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. No, I love you, Jason. He's a dictionary of trivia. He absolutely <laughs> is, aren't you? <laughs> I have a head that is um, full of information that will never earn me a living, but, um, I, <laughs> but it makes it. Well, you know, one thing I love about the Hence the broken smoke is... detector for six years. Go ahead. Just... <laughs> <laughs> could just call a stupid electrician today. You replace the squeaky box. All right, go ahead. Because <laughs> it's warped uh, and woof. Thing... He's been paying attention to. Go ahead. Um, I love about the store portion is it's not biased towards bald people. There's a great passage in this where it says that if um, if your hair is falling out, that's a sign of this of this um, skin condition. Um, but if you have a bald head, you should be considered clean until you've been proven otherwise. And I think that's quite sweet that there were bald people going, oh, no, it says that if you lose your hair, you've got this thing. People are going to think I've got it. But it says, no, you absolutely have to be considered clean unless proven otherwise. So if you've got bald hair out there, don't feel bad. It's going to be okay. Uh, I'll, st- I'll stop worrying. Thanks. <laughs> 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 and that's and that's you know that's really I just because you know we're coming to a close now on this one on this portion, but that's really how the whole portion ends. Look at like the last verse. You see that mm-hmm. the the idea of everything in this whole uh, uh, chap this parsha is all about Torah. Is all about becoming better about instruction. So look at the last verse. The whole last verse of Pasha's Tazri is what? Zois Tairas Nega Tsaras. And this is that word Nega. That means this is the teachings. That means the purpose of all of this is all about Torah, about instruction. Because these are the great chukim. It means those laws that are hard that we don't really apprehend it's it's how it works. Because it's it's not like don't steal, don't that that we get. But these, but here the key is zois tyras negatzaras. This is a very unusual language in the, in in scripture. This is the Torah. That means this is the reproof. This is the. Of course, we. I don't even know how the English translation render it. It's fine. But this is the teachings. This is the Torah of negatzaras. Mm-hmm. So that means the purpose of all this is to make you better, to raise you up, to make you pure, so that you should watch what you say, watch what comes out of your mouth. You think it's just a word. You think you're just saying that's ah, only. A word Ali said, I didn't do, I didn't take it, I just said something. Oh, no, 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 no. And that's why, you know, it's just like in Isaiah and all the prophets. They, what are they concentrating on? Not eating pork? No. They concentrate on where people stumble. Where do people stumble? Predominantly, the prophets is all about how to teach that you're not treating people properly. That means your social justice is dead. You're doing great on eating kosher. You're doing great on keeping sharp as a new moon. Great. Read Isaiah 1. You're blowing it on social justice, and that's why you were in so much trouble. So, what do we find there? Once again, people think, sure, I could do the ritual. I mean, I could be an Orthodox Jew, meaning keep sharp and so on, but I could be, I could, my life could be vacuous uh, in, my, in the way I treat somebody else. And that, that 
that kind of thinking, that just the ritual, oh, then God's going to step in and he's going to give you tzaras if you think you can destroy someone's life with words. Oh, then will God will step in and destroy a temple over that kind of behavior. That's the key of the whole thing. You wouldn't know, everybody, people like ritual, but don't you dare try to, the ritual is beautiful. They're bringing you, giving your wife flowers and chocolates and writing a card is important, but not if you're sleeping with another woman, then what's the point of it? It has mm. to be filled with the, the personal relationship with God that, that you should always think about Hashem and be connected to God when, as you keep your ritual, or else the ritual is meaningless. Well, I never thought that I would say that that was both a delicious and juicy Torah portion. I <laughs> didn't see that coming. Not only that, Jason, but next Next week, Metzora is we've got more leprosy, and I think I'm almost looking forward to it now. Yay! <laughs> you, you may be the first person in history who said, I'm looking forward to more leprosy. You know, no, no, seriously, it's possible that no one has ever crafted a sentence in human history. I'm looking forward to more leprosy. You, you, Jono, may be the I'm not saying, but this may be new territory here. I don't know if a, that sentence had ever been crafted before this moment. So, congratulations. On behalf forward. of Shakespeare, and Pushkin, I'd like to just thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to your to your uh, to your wisdom, my friend, on uh, on the coming Torah portion as well. But that's Tazria. How about that? Well, I thought it was going to be a quick one, but I didn't uh, I didn't expect all of that in detail. And I'm glad that you went to the trouble. So thank you, Rabbi Tobias Singer. Outreachjudaism.org is the website, outreachjudaism.org, where you can get a copy of Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah, Volumes 1 and 2. That's not all that's there, by the way. There's a few things that you can pick up there, plus a whole lot of free resources as well. So thank you again for coming back on the program. Jason of spiritualbabies.net. Any parting thoughts? Yeah, I think we should probably mention that the three of us um, will be in Israel in about, what, six months now? Uh, it's not very long at all. It's not far away. It's going to be, um, yeah, November November is uh, is when it kicks off this year. So there is still, there's still some seats left on the bus, people. So don't take too long to leave your deposits. Go to truthtoyou.org. Actually, there's a link on this post you can click on and it will take you to the necessary information. If you would like to join us in the land uh, in this coming November, we would love to have you with us. It's going to be an incredible tour uh, from north to south and uh, and some very, very special time in Jerusalem. It's just going to be a wonderful thing. I can't wait. We'd love to have you with us, and you can certainly join us. There is space on the bus. Don't take too long to secure your place with a deposit. There we go. Nice one. All right, we're off. We're dead. Until next, until next time, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom.